Welcome to the Alcohol Rethink Podcast with me, your host, Patrick Fox. This podcast is for the guys out there who question the role that alcohol plays in their lives, men who want to stop drinking and don't know where to go or how to start. We're going to cover all of that and more. Let's go. Hi guys and welcome to episode 80 of the Alcohol Rethink Podcast. I've got a super cool guest on with me today. He's coming with us live all the way from Austin, Texas. His name is Chris Marshall. He's over on Instagram as Sandsbar. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. I think you've got a lot to offer all of the listeners and then welcome to the show, dude. Like, let's just get stuck in. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Patrick. Glad to be here. Uh, I'm really excited about uh, having this conversation with you today. Nice one, man. So kind of let's start from the beginning, shall we, before we dive into to what you're up to now. But your journey to sobriety, perhaps you could share what that looks like and let all the guys know. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Uh, you want you want like the five minute version <laughs> of like <laughs> how I got sober? I can do that. Well, yeah, like, you know, because I think it's so powerful to hear other people share their journeys, right? And especially for us guys, because, you know, mm-hmm. we don't like to talk about stuff at the best of time. So to, to hear another dude and their experience, like, yeah, I think it'd be really awesome. All right. I can do that. Yeah. Um, and I, I agree. I think that hearing other people's stories helps us to identify where we're at in that journey, potentially. Like every yeah. story is different. Every journey is different. But hearing other people, I can see kind of where I'm at on that road. So yeah, I'll, I'll pretty much uh, just give you a quick little background before I ever picked up a drink. Um, before I ever picked up a drink, um, my parents divorced when I was five. My dad had mental illness and uh, I blamed myself for his mental illness. Uh, he was a boxer and uh Muhammad Ali, uh, as close to Muhammad Ali as you could get without, I mean, just, he looked a lot like Muhammad Ali, Wow, was kind, was gentle, um, was a great dad, was a great husband. Um, but what we know now is that, you know, the brain can only take so much trauma. So we, we, you know, I think the theory, and this is like in the eighties, like, I, I don't think people were as aware of it, but he had a you know series of kind of knockouts and you know has had some really head serious head trauma and um and i think he also had some mental illness that was just going to be there anyways but it certainly did um kind of accelerate his mental health stuff and so um when i was 5 uh, my dad was my 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 hero um speaking about being a boy and being a man um my dad was my hero. The first memory I have in this world is of me being on my dad's shoulders. Uh, oh, wow. He was jogging down. Uh, we had a long, this long lane that was kind of like a down, kind of slope downhill. And uh, he had a, a gray, gray hoodie on. And we were just, you know, I was just bouncing on his shoulders as he was running and training. And um, that's the first memory I have in this world. Uh, so I was very close to my dad, loved my dad. And he got sick. Um, and when he got sick, I blamed myself. I thought that I had caused him to get sick. And that immediately, 
changed, I think changed the trajectory of my life. I think if, if I would not have seen myself as responsible, I think I might've become a different person. I'm not saying that's good or bad, just saying that's just the reality. Um, once my dad left the house, uh, my, my grandmother as meaning, meaning very well, she said, Chris, you are now the man of the house. And I immediately at five years old, it's like, okay, I have to I have to be the man of the house. I have to figure out how to yeah. protect my mom, protect my sister, you know, pay bills. Like I was, I was um woefully inadequate uh at being a man at five. Yeah, but I guess like it you perhaps even stop being a kid at five years old when you get right. that kind of message, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. It was it was I guess my childhood was over and I had forfeited my mm. childhood because I was responsible for my dad getting sick. And so, um, you know, all throughout, you know, elementary school or, you know, grade school, I guess you kind of say like the, those early years, um, I struggled to connect. I struggled to fit in. Um, I, I didn't know how to play and, and be a kid. I was always, you know, escaping, really escaping mm-hmm. like books. Um, I didn't play video games that much. I didn't. I never played video games, but I love books. I love writing. Um, I loved uh, being outside. I just did not want to be in a world where I didn't have uh, a childhood, uh, you know, parents. I didn't have the the world that I, and the life that I wanted. Um, so I fell in with a group of boys um, when I was about 16 and they just seemed to be cooler than I was. I didn't know why they wanted to have me around. I thought, um, I was lucky to be with this group of guys. And um, the first time I had a drink was with with this group. And I had made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to drink alcohol until I was 18. I just mm-hmm. believed that not drinking alcohol was inherently the best decision I could make for my life. I had seen, and I don't even know where that message came from. Um, cause my mom's family, which I grew up with did not drink alcohol. So I don't even know where that came from. Um, maybe religion. I don't know, but I just, mm-hmm. I just, I'm waiting till 18, but I found myself with these guys and we were, they were all drinking and I immediately just it's like, okay, I'm going to drink too. I'm going to, to drink beer with these people. Um, and we were all about, I mean, 15, 16, um, and I remember the first time I had a beer and it was, it was, it was hot because it had been in someone's uh, car all day in the <laughs> Texas sun. So it's like <laughs> hot, like hot, 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 you know, um, it was disgusting. Mm. And I remember the first time I, I, I tasted beer, it, it just burned my, my mouth. It was disgusting. But then the immediately, immediately, the second feeling I had was this feeling of camaraderie, this feeling of belonging this feeling of being a part of um and i've talked to those those same men since you know now we're all grown up and i've said you know hey did you feel that sense of this warm sense of like togetherness and we're doing this and we're you know having this rite of passage they were like no we we did not we did not feel that but i felt it because i my whole life had felt like i didn't belong like i didn't Mm. fit in like i didn't have anyone um, to, to identify with. And so that was the first drink. 
immediately after I'll, I'll speed up the rest of it because immediately the second time oh, I drank, I got, I got into a car accident, um, uh, almost killed myself and, and, and two other people, um, went to jail immediately. Like I, that's just, that was the second time I drank and it was pretty much that the rest of my, uh, alcohol use career, uh, in high school, then into college, same thing. Um, I just could not, I failed out of college because I could not stop drinking. And um, I, I'm not a big fan of like specifics in that that part of my life, but I will say this. There was a part of my life where I, I wanted to stop. I really, really wanted to stop and I did not know how. Um, and I went to rehab uh, for the first time and that didn't really take, I didn't, I couldn't see myself never drinking again. I was 23 years old, 23. And I was like, I can never, I can never stop drinking again how am i ever never going to have yeah. alcohol that's just <laughs> what what am i to drink watching you know american football what am i to do watching um you know basketball how, what am i going to toast with at my wedding like how am i going to live my life um and so i just like i can't do it i have to drink again and so i, I took up drinking and meet and the wonderful thing about my kind of uh problems with alcohol is that there was no pretending like this was something that wasn't a problem. Every time I drank, and I mean, there's no, there was never an exception. Every time I drank, I found myself in a situation I didn't want to be in. A jail or a hospital, breaking up with a girlfriend, um, getting kicked out of some place. You know, every time I drank, I found myself not having control in what happened to my life. And eventually that came to an end, uh, February of two, 2007. I um, went to treatment for the last time. I did not want to get sober. I, in fact, I, I knew that I probably wasn't going to get sober. I was just doing it so that my mom and my family would like leave me alone. So I went to rehab and I was sick. I was getting really sick when I was yeah. drinking, throwing up blood, the whole thing. Um. And so I went to treatment, no, no, no thoughts about getting sober. And I met a guy there. His name was also Chris. And he just asked me, he said, you know what? Have you ever felt a part of anything? Have you ever felt connected to any, anyone ever? And I was like, no. And I don't know how he knew that that was the question that would break me, but it just did. It, it opened me wide up and it, it had asked me, it asked me the question that I think I had been searching for my whole life, which is like, who are you and who do you want to be? Mm -hmm. And I think after my dad got sick, I blamed myself and I became that I became the person responsible for my dad's illness. And I became the person who um, was, was an unhealthy kid. I became the person I, you know, it was a lot of life choosing for me, how I was going to be. And I had never once stopped and asked, who do I want to be in this world? And that was the first time at 23, someone asked me, like, who do you want to be in this world? And um, I, I did. It literally <laughs> changed my life. I think it, I think that man, I know that man saved my life with that simple question. Yeah, what well, a powerful story, man. It's like so much going on in there. And I thank you for sharing it. I really appreciate it. But yeah, like as a five-year-old, man, like to to... To take on that that messaging, that conditioning, I guess as well, like that's so tough, you know. Like to 
think that you're responsible for your family right like and and to blame yourself as well like i just i just see that little chris man i feel so sorry and bad for him do you know what i mean like that's absolutely brutal and i i think what you were saying as well right like that piece of like drinking for that first time with you guys like 15 16 years old and just feeling that at first the horribleness but then also like that deep connection i think it's really important because i think you know like the way our brain works and the associations we make is that you know like you drank and then you made this connection like oh when i drink then i'm then i'm like connected to other people man and like that's what happens and the the as you know right the brain gets a lot of dopamine it starts thinking that kind of shit's important and then same for myself i remember when i started drinking it was about fitting in it was about wanting to to be part of something as, as well and like what a question to get asked at, uh 23 <laughs> so powerful so what happened since then man like so you, you you did rehab you know doing some big things since then mate yeah um it, what happened since then it, it's it's wild when you when you just asked me that question now i i just thought about myself at 23 yeah um sitting in that that treatment center in houston texas and if i would have told if i came from the future and told myself hey in 16 years this will be your life i don't think i would have believed me i, I it's unbelievable like the, the the way that my life changed um so um immediately um while i was in treatment fell into a romantic relationship <laughs> um, as you do <laughs> as you do as you do nothing nothing like a good rehab romance to like you know start your recovery journey um yeah. didn't realize how like common that was and how like unoriginal i was being by like striking up a romance with a woman who was 10 years older than me that had a full kid and was still technically married like you know, did I thought I was, you know, that was unique. Um, but I'm grateful for that relationship because it was the thing that kind of helped me to like stay on the path for a bit. Um, and I, that, that didn't work, but it got me here to Austin, Texas, which is where I live now. Um, and while I was here, uh, I was just working at a sandwich shop and just like, didn't have any direction. And I guess that question came back to me, like, who, who are you and who do you want to be? Um, went went to the local community college here and uh, took an aptitude test. And they were like, you could be, here's what you'd probably be good at. I'm like, I don't like any of those things, but counselor. <laughs> I like counselor. I could do counselor. Yeah. Um, so I went back to school, became a counselor, finishing my degree off and uh, became a counselor. I was doing that for eight years here in Austin. And while I was working with people, I kept seeing this pattern of, folks that were coming into my office who uh, a did not necessarily ascribe to the 12 step model and just did mm. not, they weren't really, they weren't really getting that model and they didn't feel They felt it was too rigid and they, and they didn't see themselves and clinically. I didn't see themselves either on, you know, the, the substance meeting the criteria for substance dependence, right? Like they were abusing alcohol. They were abusing other substances. But they were dependent and there's really nowhere for those folks to go. So there was a lot of like that. It's, it was a very binary choice, um, mm. you know, six or seven years ago. And so I kept working with people, kept working. I kept seeing this pattern and just kind of recognizing that there is a need for people 
to have a space where they belong, where they feel a part of something. And that space doesn't need to be centered around alcohol because alcohol removes the ability to connect with other people. The second we put alcohol into our bodies, we become someone else. And when you talk, when you, when you watch two people who are really intoxicated, they may be talking at each other, but they're not talking to each other. Mm. They are not, they're, they're usually talking past the other person. Um, there's so much miscommunication because neither person is fully present. And I just believe that the best version of ourselves is alcohol free. Now that whether you have a problem with alcohol or not, I still believe that is true. I believe that the best version of anyone is alcohol free. So I saw this happening time and time again. Uh, 2017, I was working as a counselor and, you know, 10 years into my sobriety journey um, and started working with someone and, and realized like this person was a professional here in Austin, was doing really, really well for themselves. But their primary concern was like, I cannot stop drinking because even though I know it's bad for me, even though I know I have negative consequences when I drink, I need a social life. I'm, I'm, I'm a professional. I'm, you know, I, I gotta be in those, those happy hours. I have to be in the meetings where they where alcohol is being, you know, kind of used as currency to connect with other people. And I, and, um, uh, I just, that was a Friday night, Friday that we had that conversation. And then on a Saturday, or I'm sorry, on Monday, I came back from work and that person had uh, lost her life um, oh, due to wow. a return to alcohol use. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, in this alcohol treatment industry, substance use treatment industry, that's part of the deal. You know, people don't always make it. Um, a, I got really tired of hearing that because... That's unacceptable, right? If we if we just, you know, we we were built if we were the automobile industry. Well, you know, people just die. You know, that's just yeah, part of the it's deal. Like, like collateral damage, almost kind of right mentality. Right. Like, yeah, that sucks. Like, why are we <laughs> okay with this? Why, like, why are yeah. we? Okay? And yes, people do die, but like, it should never be just okay. Just something that happens. Something that we just there's an acceptable rate of death. I don't believe that that's the way it's supposed to be. So that bothered me. But then it bothered me that I had uh, no answer for her, for that person, sorry, for that person when uh, they had asked me about what could they do? How can they move forward in their life and be social, be sophisticated, be a, a professional person in, here in Austin without drinking? And that's where the idea of Sans Bar came. Um, I had no bartending experience. I had no business experience, I had no money um, for all the for all the reasons I should have never started a business. Um, I did. And um, actually, two days from now, Sands Bar was born, had my first event uh, five years ago. And uh, it was incredible. Uh, I created this concept and uh, it, again, was one of those things that changed my life. Um, yeah yeah such a powerful story man i love that and, and that, it's this idea like divine inspiration is you know didn't have any of them skills that people might have said well you need to have this before you can go and start a business you're just like got that calling i guess and you you saw something and you you're just driven by it man like it's incredible 
and congratulations on on five years in two days then as well that's going to be pretty cool <laughs> is it going to yeah. be a party yeah oh yeah yeah we're, we're having, we're having <laughs> a big big celebration nice. i mean especially since we, we survived covid too which is you know pretty pretty amazing uh most a lot of businesses that have been around for ages did not survive covid so i'm glad we were able to make it through um and yeah i mean most statistically most businesses do not make it past you know that five three to five year mark so i count this a success that we've been able to somehow <laughs> make it through nice i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you some more questions about that in a minute but just kind of like going back to something you said as well is you know around this idea of connection is that I hear this so many times as well with the guys I work with and in sober communities. It's like people think they're drinking to connect, but it's the opposite, right? Like we're, we're actually disconnecting. We're disconnecting from our, our true selves, our essence, right? Like we're just, mm-hmm. we're just kind of like in this, I don't even, I can't even think how to describe it. Just like this circus of like conversations and stuff. It's just like, it gets wild and nobody really remembers much of them anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so we we drink to connect, but we disconnect. And I'd love to hear about how that, what that looks like in your bar then, right? Like what's the connections that you see going off in Sandsbar? Yeah, I, and I'll get to that. I'll answer that in a second. But I just, when you were talking, I was, I just, I'm trying to piece this together because I think it is a real thing. I think mm. my theory, my theory, it's just a theory, but my theory is that we, use alcohol in the western world to connect because because uh liquid is the fastest conductor of like energy right um we can you know it conducts liquid salt water conducts electricity faster than than the air right like liquid is a faster conduit of energy and because we are also overworked because we're also stressed out because we only have a small window of time uh to to relax to to watch sports to hang out with their mates all the things we we use this accelerant that we think is going to get us the connection that we need but it's never real and lasting connection we we're using alcohol to to be a shortcut and it's never creating those authentic connections. And every time that we use that liquid, every time we use alcohol to connect with someone else, it never feels re- real. And we always sense that. We know that it doesn't. And so we, it's, I think we double down and keep keep returning to it because it just seems like it makes the most sense. But I just think that, you know, the, in this world of hyper capitalism, hyper working and overworking and working, you know, on your vacation that alcohol seems like it's the fastest way to unwind the fastest way to relax the fastest way to connect and it never is it just never is no i think as well like some of the terminology we, i used to use and other people use about like just wanting to get wasted wanting to get out of the head you know like all of this kind of language around it as well yeah because it is that that kind of quick fire impact it has on you also i was thinking you know we drink because we want to connect and then we find ourselves like disconnecting from ourselves. And like the amount of times that I've had through drinking, you know, like for all of its faults, sometimes alcohol like helps you to bring stuff up that that's already there that you've kind of tried to block down. And I'm not for one minute saying go and drink to find that stuff. But like for me, 
when I drank, like it brought up some old traumas for me. And it was the first time I was really to start able to start working with them and stuff. But I also think about conversations I've had with people where I've like opened up about what's true for me. But then the next day we like pretend that it never happened and stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's, and I think that's, that's, you know, kind of the theory is like, no matter how open you feel, yeah, it's all gone before you can ever create any meaning to it before you can assign any real value to it. Um, and whatever you do say is, is real. It is real. Like, I, I agree. As you were talking, I was thinking about all the late night conversations I used to have with mm. my friends, you know, just these long philosophical conversations <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning. And we're just like looking at the stars and um, having these conversations. And it, it felt profound. It felt real. But when you wake up in the morning, it's not there anymore. Like the like there's the echoes of the emotions of those moments, but the material, the substance of those moments, it's nothing. So the yeah. the you know, the you know, the cost, the cost benefit analysis is like, yeah, it's it's never worth using alcohol because those 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 those, those moments of catharsis, that that getting it out, that sharing, talking to someone. It's never real. It's a mirage. It's it's not it's not substantive, and and I think that we just we will we want it to be. We want it to be so badly, but there is no shortcut to connecting with another human being. It takes time. It takes work. It takes showing up and being nervous, and men especially struggle with this. Um, I, I'm again very proud of what I've created at Sandsbar. I, I, I think it is, and, and I'm going to kind of walk you through a night at Sands Bar here in a second, but nice. I'm very creative. I'm very proud of what I've created. However, our patronage is about um, 90% women. Right. If you're a single guy, it's a great place to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, but shit, that's, that's a, that's massive, isn't it? about about i would say on a on a good night 85 percent um folks identify as women but mostly it's about 85 90 percent wow big in numbers. fact i'm gonna i'm gonna post the celebration photos and you'll see you'll see just how few men um are are kind of our regulars however we do have regulars and those regulars are wonderful 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 guys. Like they, one of them becomes my best friend, you know, comes in every day. It's like, Hey John, how's it going? You know, give him, give him his, uh, his Guinness. I'm sorry. His Heineken. Sorry. Guinness. Heineken. Give him his Heineken. Uh, he sits at the bar, listens to music. We talk about life. You know, we talk about things and what's like, what's amazing and magical about that is that those conversations I remember, like those interactions are the real things that are inside of us and the emotions that we share with each other is really cool. So I would like to see more men in this space for sure. Um, it sounds weird to say, but yeah, can't get a man, can't get men into the bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something else that came up for me as well is like when you have those conversations, when you're drunk, right? Like things that want to be expressed, but you perhaps don't feel safe to do so not drinking right because of all of the conditioning we get as guys and stuff but like i remember like times when i did say stuff the next day like the the shame i would have 
of having said it as well right and like literally hoping the other person had forgot because it just felt like it was gonna like swallow me whole you know mm. so yeah it's like be being open to have this conversation and i'm still learning man like i'm four years sober this month and like i'm still learning thank you and i'm still like getting there you know like just the other day i had a, a really powerful uh like a therapy coaching session and I, and i said something i'd never said since i was a kid and like it brought me to tears and i think you know that's the beautiful thing about this journey is that it's the healing that takes place as well right like because there's a reason why we we drink i think more often than not and once you stop drinking that that starts to reveal itself but yeah like having that support knowing that there are other guys out there which is why i appreciate you coming on and like being able to show all these guys you know life doesn't stop when you stop drinking which is what 23 year old chris thought right <laughs> yeah he's like no that's we're done but yeah it's, it's, it's amazing and you cannot know what's going to happen i think that's part of the the excitement of sobriety which is like the the joy of missing out which are, that's what i want to try and like sell guys on when they're stopping drinking right it's like this is could be really exciting for you man like you just never know where it's going to lead yeah I, I think that uh you never know where this is going to lead and you can also really under, never understand why you're drinking while you're drinking and yeah. i think that that is that is something i see a lot of folks especially men it's like they want to know why, because by nature, I think men are just kind of fixers. Like we want to fix things. My wife comes to me with the problem. I want to fix it. I don't want to just listen and, and and just hold space for her. Like she really wants me to. Yeah. I want to fix it. And I think that you just can't fix. <laughs> you can't fix the boat while you're drowning. You know, and I think that that's <laughs> that's a lot of what I see people try. They're trying to they're trying to like repair and fix and like figure it out on their own uh, because, you know, in a sense, they feel responsible on some level. They feel responsible for for their life sinking and, and things being the way that they are. And so they they they're trying to patch something up as it's happening. And what I was amazed was around year four or five, that why was revealed for me and I would have never understood that why I drank. Because, um, like, I mean, I got it, sure, to connect. But I never understood the guilt and the shame that came with it and everything else and why I kept drinking. Um, that was revealed much later on in my journey when I was in a space where I could understand it. You know, just even just to mature, right? To be 23 years old, I couldn't wrap my head around um you know, this, this version of me that drank to survive. And that version of me is not the weakest version of myself. That is the strongest version of myself. That that's the, the part of the version of Chris that endured car accidents and going to jail and fights and getting kicked out of bars and waking up uh, with vomit on my shirt. I, that version of myself is the strongest version of myself because it endured the absolute hell of drinking. And once I was able to make peace with that part of myself, I was able to move forward. Um, but I couldn't do that at 23 and I couldn't do that at three days sober or 30 days sober or three months or really even three years. I really needed some time to be away from the drink to understand that. And once I understood it, it, it made just I, it answered the why. So that's just something that I, I, I just hear a lot. Like, I want to know why I keep drinking. 
well, you keep drinking for for your own specific spot. It may be the same. It may be different, but you can't know that while you're drinking. And that's not part of the, you know, to me, it's not part of what you need to know right now. What you need to know right now is that um, you're loved, that you're not alone, and that there's an absolute wonderful life waiting for you when you stop drinking. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a powerful way to look at it, actually. I've not, not even considered it like that, but the strongest version of you was the one who was drinking because of everything that he's he had to go through and the like that resilience and and i think what you're saying is about how through stopping drinking like how you like increase your capacity to for lots of different things but like to hold space for yourself to have compassion for your past self right like the way you're describing him there right like it sounds like there's bundles of compassion and uh, and and as you say, it's like removing all of those layers of guilt and shame, like making yourself wrong for for all of those things. But actually, like, what was going on for that guy? You know, I think mm-hmm. that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, the best the best work I've done is you know this inner work of learning to hold all versions of myself in in a you know in a in a you know in a space in my mind, you know, my own little mind palace, right? Like to keep these versions of myself whole and autonomous and have them talk to each other and to have that five-year-old version of me talking to the 16-year-old version of me that tried alcohol for the first time and talk to the 22-year-old me that was in the depths of my my thing, my addiction and my disease. And then to have my 30, I'll be 40 in April. So my 39-year-old self, right? Like to have all these versions of myself you know, the older part of myself parenting my child self, the the teenager part of myself talking to my child self and understanding like, wow, kid, you, you just, you didn't realize like you weren't at fault, you know? And then, you know, me parenting all of them as a, as a real dad to, 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 to two real kids. Um, I just could not have done that in rehab, sweating out alcohol, in this rehab romance. Like I just, I just couldn't, <laughs> I could it just wasn't going to happen. Okay. Um, and that's 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 my experience. Now, some people may be, you know, much more you know advanced and, and, and can do that. But I just to work that out in my mind, to be at peace with all versions of myself. Um, and it's still a, it's still a battle. I still have still have a long way to go, you know, to accept who I am today um, and not be on this continual elevator of wellness. I have to continue getting like peak physical condition, peak, you know, this and peak. I have to learn to just accept me for who I am, allow age and time to do what it's going to do to my body. Uh, like I, I'm, I'm just, I'm still growing and evolving even at almost 16 years of, of alcohol freedom. Yeah. Nice. And I think, I think that's it. It's a lifelong thing, isn't it? It's not, there's no expiry date until the date. <laughs> the Effectively. Date, yeah. yeah. Nice. Oh, wicked man. Well, let's let's uh, talk about Sands Bar for a moment because I'd love to explore that as well. And what does that look like? Because I'd love to know what what happens in this bar, right? Like, what's the kind of atmosphere? What do you you've already given us a great example of John, right? Like, but what else? Like, what what do you notice? Like, what's your day to day? Day to day, and shout out to John. I know he's going to listen to this podcast, buddy. Uh, <laughs> yes, John. Shout out to John. He's he's one of my best friends, and I'm so grateful for him. Um, yeah, you walk into Sands Bar, and immediately the first thing most people realize is that it doesn't smell like a bar. It mm. is you just like I think your nose is faster at detecting things than we realize. 
Um, and so it's really interesting. People are just like, this is not, this is a bar, but it's just the confusion and the bewilderment. It's like <laughs> the most hilarious thing. I love it. I love it every time. It makes me happy. Um, people walk in, welcome to Sands Bar. One of my wonderful bartenders says, um, most of my bartenders are not sober. Uh, most of my bartenders work at regular bars uh, and they consume alcohol when they're not on the mm-hmm. clock, obviously. Um, and that's, I think, intentional for me. I, I want to create a space where this is not about abstinence. It's about connection and, and, and alcohol. My, 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 my wish is to be in a space where alcohol isn't even a conversation. Like it's not as even, even enter the space. Because when we do, even if it's in the negatives, you know, to like, oh, well, we don't, alcohol's bad or, you know, in the affirmative, oh, we don't drink alcohol today because we are living this wonderful life. That's still centering alcohol. And I don't, I don't really want to have a space where alcohol is centered or mentioned at all. So mm. um, I, I create the space of like everyone here is just not drinking tonight. That's all. It's not drinking tonight. I mean, I'm not even drinking for the hour because they may go to the to the bar next door and have a few drinks. That that's okay too. So you walk in, someone greets you, hand you a menu, and uh, my menu changes seasonally. Um, you know, right now, uh, I think my favorite drink on the menu is uh, a drink called the Pumpkin Sailor, uh, <laughs> kind of like a drunken sailor, but a pumpkin sailor. Uh, nice. It uses uh, ritual alcohol free rum, um, chai, and uh, a cinnamon simple syrup uh it's and it's like this kind of like pumpkiny fall kind of thing but with like this like nice little um alcohol free rum so it's completely zero zero percent alcohol completely alcohol free but it's 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 really really good um little bit of, uh, yeah yeah star anise anise and it's just really 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 good and so yeah that's uh, my favorite drink right now for fall moving into winter. I mean, it's still still very hot. It's hot outside right now in Texas. So we don't do like cold winter drinks until, you know, later in December into January. Um, but yeah, you look at the menu, order a drink, uh, got some great beers, you know, for you to choose from. Um, and then there's usually something happening. There's music there's uh comedy we do a comedy night uh we have a drag show uh we we have all these different things that you can kind of just join in um and if you know you're you're kind of in a mood where you don't want to socialize with folks i recognize that too you know um a lot of people just go to sandsbar to be less alone um they may not want to socialize and i think that's what people do anyway say so they'll go to they'll go to a pub right and they'll just sit there they'll just they'll have their pint and they're they're not really wanting to, to get intoxicated. They just don't want to be alone. And, and I think a lot of people fit that, right? They, they, they want to belong somewhere and they want to be somewhere. Uh, and Sandsbar just offers that. It offers you a reason to, to, to get out of your house and go somewhere uh, and meet people. And, and the, the bar is very... And I don't know if if I'm responsible, if I do that or I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I I believe that there's a culture of just kind of like introducing yourself to people and, and walking up to people. Um, I feel like it's a safe place for women um, because not, there's not a bunch of drunk mm-hmm. dudes hitting on women. Um, and I think that opens it up for just conversation. I just I just feel like it's it's a very easy place to just spark up a conversation. There's very few places, at least here, that you can go and have a conversation with someone and say, like, hey, my name's Chris. 
Patrick, nice to meet you. Like you, you can't just yeah. do that in the library. You can't just do that in the, yeah, college, yeah, yeah. In, in the <laughs> Starbucks. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like unless it's on. a bar, we don't really, there's really no third space in our world where that is something that you just do. You meet strangers. And more than anything, and the drinks are great. And I loved, I love the NA beers. And that's something that if you're, uh, if you're into beer, uh, you don't have to give up that because it's non-alcoholic. There are a lot of great beers um, that are out there. And there's an account on Instagram. Um, there's a couple accounts that are just kind of like beer, beer for it. And Patrick, I mean, I may send you some just kind of. Send me the links. Yeah, I'll stick them in yeah, the show notes. In, in case some folks just still want to carry on that that tradition and ritual of drinking beer uh, without the alcohol there's 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 absolutely a, you know no no shortage of great products so the the drinks are great but really it, it really is about creating this this space for people to connect to each other and i think that's i think that's the real special quality of sands bar it's not so much the bartending part of it the bar part of it i think as we become an increasingly disconnected connected society right like we have all these ways to connect to each other but we are lonelier than ever. Men mm. are lonelier than ever. There's a there's an epidemic of loneliness globally, globally. And, and in my view, and this is just me being, you know, not super well-educated, but in my view, loneliness is uh, only, you know, second to global warming or climate change in like the way that our world is rapidly changing. Um, and unlike climate change, there's something that we can all do pretty immediately, right? Like climate change, we got to all get together. These nations have to all work together and have all these summits. And I think with the loneliness, all we have to do is make ourselves vulnerable to another human being. That's all we have to do. It's, I think what's responsible in this country and in this state, especially Texas, it's what's responsible for gun violence, domestic violence. I think that feeling alone and isolated in this world has stolen the ability for people, especially men, to say I'm not okay. To, for people to recognize that people are not okay. Right? If you're all by yourself and you're sitting in your room and you're you're, you're just watching this, this kind of funnel of, of sadness and, and um dire news like you're going to you're going to see the world in only that way and if no one else sees you struggling no one can say like hey my friend needs help i think we're losing people to um you know suicide um we're losing just we're losing folks to substance use and i think all of these have a a very central root cause and i think that is loneliness and Again, I love the drinks. I think that's part of the, the movement. But more than anything, I want this to be a movement of connection. I really, really do. And technology just isn't going to create. This, is, this isn't a, a problem that tech's going to solve, right? Tech can only get us so far. We really need to have more spaces where people are connecting to other people, where young people can learn to be with each other, can learn to socialize, look another human being in the eye, right? Like these things are things that are vital to our survival as a species so <laughs> it's bigger than going to a bar and having a few na drinks it, to me is so this is really about what i hope society becomes which is a more connected one yeah 
Oh, yeah, it's so fucking important, man. I was just reading something the other day about that, about how, you know, like the divide between younger and older generations is getting. And, you know, it, like for the history of the human race, right? Like we've always seen elders as wise and like look up to them for respect and admiration. Whereas now, like we just stick them in care homes and forget about them and just like as if they're burdens on society and stuff. So, yeah, totally resonate. But even technology, right? Like, yes, we're more connected online but it's that physical connection like even if you're not touching somebody just being in the presence of someone like because our nervous systems communicate to each other right like <laughs> we need that stuff in our lives so yeah i love that i love that it's, it's it's so much more than just like having a sober bar but it's about connection and bringing people together beautiful all right man this is like absolutely whiz by so before we wrap up, like, is there anything that you want to offer any of the guys listening? And you've already given us a ton already in terms of your story and about like how to have compassion for yourself. But is there anything else that you want to offer you think might be helpful for the guys listening to just to hold on to for a while? Yeah, I, I think what I when I woke up this morning, I knew we were going to have this conversation. I knew we were going to talk, um, and. Uh, something that just has been on my mind all morning is the idea that a way to heal is to help others. You know, mm. it's called the wound, the wounded healer. Um, and I just want to encourage more men to get out there and you don't have to be, you know, fully mended, but you do need to be a little bit better than you were before yesterday. You want to be a little, a little healed, but but when once you feel like you can swim again, once you feel like you're you're right side up, um, I think a big part of this journey is to to help other people, and whatever that looks like for you. And we need you. We need everyone telling their story. We need everyone reaching out to other people. We need everyone to be at the front of the, the 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 war zone for human connection this is a battle that we we need to win we must win and we need everyone and i believe that the best version of ourselves and how we ultimately like win human connection back again is by having all hands on deck and so you are more important than you realize the reason that you are even considering uh, a life with no alcohol is because someone you've seen it happen in someone else's life yeah. and you need to be that light for someone else. So I just want to encourage anyone listening, be that light, be that light for someone else. You, you, you have more ability to illuminate the world than you realize you matter and you can always reach out to me. A beautiful, powerful, powerful message there for all the guys listening. It's like that butterfly effect, isn't it? Right? Like we just, even if it's just one person you help, right? Like that one person might go and help ten people, and then ten people. Like we just have no idea of like the impact mm -hmm. that we can have, and it is true. Like I, no one's ever fully healed. I don't think that exists, <laughs> right? And you know, healers, healers heal, and I, I think, you know that compassion piece connection like all the c's basically <laughs> super powerful all right chris one final question before we get going and that's what does it mean to be radically human for you um what it means to be radically human to me is that i i show up 
as myself without any veneer, without any filter. Um, that means that I show up unhealed sometimes and, and, un, and un, you know, I, I show up uh, upset and sometimes sad. Um, but I, I believe that for me, it's about just being myself. And that's so, that sounds so, it sounds so um, easy to say, but it's so hard to live authentically. And I, I don't know if I do it all the time, but I, I try, I try to show up as myself. I try to show up in, in this conversation as myself, uh, imperfect, a little bit all over the place. <laughs> uh, but, but I, I recognize that uh, that is who I am. And I, I just, I am still who I am, which is this, this evolving human being, but I'm also that little boy on my dad's shoulders running in the morning light. I am, I am both of those things. And to me, that's what it means to be radically human is that I am all versions of myself in it. And at each, at each stage of my life, I've been the exact Chris I needed to be in that moment. Mm. Beautiful. Almost kind of like radical acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For all those parts, all those ages, all those versions. Mate, what a conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I know that the guys are going to get a ton out of this. So I appreciate you. Thanks for coming on and, and sharing everything. Where can guys get hold of you? Where can they hear more about you, man? <laughs> yeah. So a uh, few places. Instagram, sans underscore bar. So sans, S-A-N-S underscore B-A-R. Also my website, thesansbar.com. If you just want to reach out to me, uh, people do it all the time. I'm on podcasts. People are like, I just heard you on this podcast. I want to reach out and say whatever. I'm okay with that. I, I really... I told you my thing is connection. So that matters a great deal to me. Um, if you're here, if you're in the United States, I'm going on a tour. Oh, in Canada, I'm going on a 17 city tour uh, called the Sandsbar National Tour. I also have mm-hmm. a 10 week virtual academy for people who want to start their own alcohol free bars. It's called Sandsbar Academy. And we've had folks all over the world uh, be part of this Sandsbar Academy. So if that's something that's interesting to you, uh, check out my website, thesandsbar.com and uh join up that virtual uh class it starts in january oh mate that's incredible yeah congratulations on that all right guys well there you go that's chris marshall for you let's keep those connections going let's keep these conversations going because we just they can lead to some amazing things and some amazing healing for everyone so thanks a lot chris take care dude thank you so much all right guys take care bye-bye If you want to find out more about working with me and seeing how I can help you stop drinking and start showing up in life the way that you really want, visit patrickjfox.com to find out more or book a free consultation using the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.